Okay, Mark 16, and uh, I, after looking at this passage last week about salvation, I want to go back into it because I got several emails from different folks and, you know, kind of confusion, and I don't quite understand where I was confused in it, but um, we're going to look back here, verse 15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And again here, this is the night of the resurrection. This is a post-resurrection set of information. Uh, Luke 24, it's the same evening. John 20's information, the same evening. Matthew 28 is a few days later in Galilee. So there's a lot of deep. So in looking at the details here uh, in verse 16, uh, again, verse 16 causes a, a, a lot of controversy. And I think it's important that we understand the verses and we appreciate what's going on in there. This is less than 113, I think, on the list, you know. So we got a few more to go to get down through. I, I don't want to hurry through it, but I don't want to belabor the point either. And the, the issue here of Israel's uh, salvation package, in verse 16, I said it last time, and he, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Again, belief is on both sides of this equation. Believe and be baptized and be saved. Believe, believe not, no, and will be damned. So when we are looking at this, believing is always the issue. Faith is always going to be the issue here. And when you think about salvation and really damnation too, as that's the next term here, they shall be damned in in time past. You cannot look at it the way we look at it today in the age of grace. Now, in this in the questions and the comments that I got over the past week, I must have said that a thousand times because we get this in our brain that oh, it's the same way we think about it. No, it's not. It never has been, nor never was, and so in time past. Salvation is looked at completely different than how we looked at it. Damnation is looked at completely different than the way we think about as well. So when you're, the guy in 1616 is not thinking about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, it is the gift of God, not of works. Because obviously, what does verse 16 say? He that believeth and is baptized. So obviously, baptism is a work. So what then begins to happen is you begin to have controversies and arguments because some will say, well, it's faith alone. And by the way, it is. But then it's also faith plus works. And it is. And everybody goes, well, you, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of it is because they're thinking about it the way you and I think about it today in the age of grace. And you cannot do that. Come over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Peter, working under these commissions, under the Mark 16 information, okay, he's working, I mean, we just, Acts 2, we've got the day of Pentecost. He's had his understanding open, Luke 24. He knows he, he is Matthew 10. Don't, don't, think, don't worry about what you're going to say. It'll be given to you in that moment. They don't have to study the scriptures out to know what to say. It's coming to them. The Holy Ghost is there, poured out on them. They are revved, cleared, ready to go. He knows what he's doing. And what does he say? Well, verse 37 now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So obviously, what's, Peter's given them the message, same as before, verse 39, 
For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And everybody knows that you can't save yourself, justification unto eternal life. They know that. So then it's save yourselves in what sense? In, 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 in what? How do I do that? Well, they, how do I do it? Well, I believe, I repent, I believe, I'm water baptized, and then I get the Holy... So what happens then is people begin to say that in time past, see, it was faith plus works, but then when Paul showed up, now it's faith alone, you know, Titus 3, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, see. And uh, literally, the, the confusion comes in when there is an inadequate definition of the word salvation. Is it faith plus works? Yes. Is it faith alone? Yes. And that begins to, to ca cause trouble. That begins to uh, look at things and, 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 and cause confusion. So in, if you recognize dispensational truth, you understand right divine, in the issue of in time past and the use of the word salvation, it, it is both faith and faith plus works. Okay, and again, that the problem comes into that word salvation, and then the misconception of what salvation is in time past versus what it is today in the but now. Salvation in time past was primarily viewed completely different. It is a physical salvation into a, into a physical kingdom. They never were looking to say, I'm going to die and I'm going to heaven. They never looked at salvation that way. So what happens is, is sorry, i got to make sure my buttons are all on. <laughs> And they are. What happens is, is when you think about how to view this issue of salvation, there's really just a few basic ways that people view it. The first one is the Calvinistic covenant theology way, and that is the people in time past were looking forward in faith to the cross. And everybody is saved the same way by forward faith at Calvary, and come over to Luke 18, because this was one of the questions asked, or, ra or one of the issues raised in this past week. So look at Luke 18. The problem with that is, is that's not what the verses say. It's not what the verses teach. It, teach. Okay? That's not good Bible. Now, that's good theology, but not good Bible. Luke 18 Verse 31, notice carefully, Luke 18, 31. Then he, and that'll be the Lord, took unto him the twelve, the twelve apostles, and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood everything he said, believing and faith. and Not at all. Verse 34 doesn't say that. They understood what? None of these things. They were, there is no way for them to look forward in faith to, to the Calvary when clearly they don't understand. Come over to 1 Peter Chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter talks about this, and it's clear. And again, the reason you don't want to see it is because you're trying to make salvation in time past something that it is not. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 9. 1 Peter 1 verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls... So there's our salvation. How, 
And again, the covenant theology, the Calvinistic viewpoint is that salvation of your soul. Everybody's saved this way with the forward view to Calvary. So by faith and faith alone, they're trusting in Calvary. By the way, the Calvinists said you're an elect, so you were chosen to be there anyway. Like you don't have much of a choice in it. And yet notice what Peter says, verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. So here's, here's Isaiah. Here's David when he writes Psalms 22. Here are these guys who are writing and they've inquired of which salvation. See, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Now watch verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. So when the holy men of God are moved and they write the scriptures, they go looking into what they just wrote about, which verse 11, when and testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed. So when Isaiah writes, and when David writes Psalms 22, and Isaiah writes, and Jeremiah writes, and Moses writes, and everybody's writing about, Cal, about a future Messiah who's going to die, be buried, and rise again the third day, what'd they do? They went looking, the sufferings of Christ. There's the first 21 verses, I think, of Psalms 22. Let me just double check that. Psalms 22, yes, 1 to 21 is about Calvary and the sufferings. Psalm 69, the reproach psalm, there it is, bam. Then he says, and the glory that should follow, there's the kingdom. So what do we have? We have this picture here, just using Psalms 22. The first half is about the cross and what's going on there. And then the second half is the kingdom. And they say, see, look, because all of that, and Peter says, Verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you. They weren't meant for them to understand. They were meant for them to do what? Just write it down. That's coming later. It's the, 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 we have the revelation now. It's not for you. Write it down. It's for a future group. And again, that's the issue of progressive revelation that happens. You can't know something unless God tells you. We looked at this last Sunday in 1 Corinthians 2 there in our study in verse 7 and 8. You can't know something if God doesn't tell you. And guess what? He doesn't reveal anything back there other than the event itself taking place. Again, that's why 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8 is so critical. Because, and, and really it helps understand, helps explain why the mystery was a mystery. Why? Because had the princes of this world known it, well, known it, the hidden wisdom, the eternal ramifications, the eternal results of Calvary, which is actually God's response to Satan's plan... <laughs> For the heavenly places to completely undo it all and cause Satan to, to lose, Colossians 1, Colossians 2, see, they would not have gone on with and, and caused Calvary to happen, the crucifixion to happen. So the first thought process is, well, everybody looks forward in faith to Calvary, and that's just not what the verses support, Okay. So then you've got, come to Romans 3. So now you have another thought that comes up. And this one kind of lies out there, but it, it, Romans 3. But it's something that has popped up and it's developed over the last year, you know, 25, 30 years or so. And that is, they might not be looking forward in faith to the cross, but they all knew it was only faith that would justify them. So it's always just faith unto eternal life, and they use Romans 3 to do that. Okay? Now, and by the way, the reason, and again, that's dangerous, but to take what Paul's going to tell us in Romans 3 and run it back into the Old Testament because that's not... 
Is it faith alone in the Old Testament? Yes. Is it faith plus works? Yes. See, and, and you, can't, you, you can't bring you and I into it. And the, by the way, the verse they use is verse 28. And, and really what, it, what this does is it, <laughs> they've taken dispensational Bible study and then they've taken covenant theology and melded them together. And that's dangerous because what then they'll say is, is they'll say, well, it's not really that, but it's always faith. And that's exactly what covenant theology says. It's always been faith in the cross and it's always faith alone. So they use verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, Paul is developing the argument of justification under eternal life, and it is by faith alone. It's always the basis of salvation in every age is the blood of Christ. The means of salvation is always faith. So if you and what they'll do is there, therefore we conclude that amen. So this is all men are justified without the deeds of the law. But the problem is verse 21. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Romans 3:21. Okay? That's a problem. Because if it's but now the righteousness of God without the law. That means the righteousness of God with the law was in play. Well, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world be, may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, but by the for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now... So what was time past? The law, the righteousness, it's all connected. But now, moving forward, what is it? The righteousness of God without the law. So now there's a new way for righteousness to be manifested today in the age of grace. But that's not the same way it was manifested in time past. The righteousness of God in time past was made manifest by the law. Have I completely confused you yet? All right, I'm going to try. We're going to get a little, I'm going to, I'm going to do my, because this is what this stuff does when you try to take how you and I think about it and put it back there. It doesn't work. It just causes trouble. By the way, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what we know now. Why? Because of the revelation given to the Apostle Paul, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. God the Father, he looked, he, by the way, in time past, God the Father looked toward Calvary through, uh, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Forbearance, the extension of time to pay off a debt. If you've got a credit card, you always have a grace period most of the time, unless you're an American Express black card holder. I got, uh, I didn't get one, but I got an ad in the, in the mail for one. I'm like, woo, look at this, I got a black card. And I, I don't know if that's, it, you know, it's supposed to be good or not. I, you know, arm and a leg later, you know. But the thing is, is that's what, so God the Father, how did God justify, how did God justly forgive sins in time past? God the Father looked, he knew Calvary was coming, and based upon the propitiatorial act of his son, he could then apply, see, he could credit the shed blood to the believer in time past. So literally in time past, what God do, did based on the credit of the cross he, that he knew was coming, he would forgive them the sins and then give them the rights to eternal life. 
Okay? He did that. And he did it through forbearance. Verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. Here's the but now. Now we know that the basis for sins forgiven is based on the blood of Christ. Whether it's in time past, by the way, Hebrews 9 says answers that issue of time past, and that's the sins under the first covenant, the first testament, the old, not, not yours. Your sins were all future of Calvary. None of your sins were past, okay? But now, what do we know? We know through the propitiatorial act of Christ, the basis for the forgiveness of sins is the blood. Even though in time past, they didn't know about it. See, again, because you can't know something that, Christ, that God hasn't told you. Okay? But back there in the Old Testament, back there in the time past, when they don't look forward in faith to the cross, okay, they, they're, they're not only saved by faith, otherwise Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized, says differently. So then what do we have? Well, the third area is the traditional dispensational viewpoint. And, and it, it even then, it gets convoluted, okay? And basically, it says it's faith plus works in the Old Testament, and it's faith alone today. Problem is, is when you go looking into this stuff, it's really both. And they do the, and where they get it from, honestly, is stamps things that differ in the first chapter. If you read things that differ, skip chapter 1, go read chapter 2 to the end, and then go back and read 1 because chapter 1 is a confusing chapter. And it's in that book that gets this lay in, and then that's where the, the opposition comes, see? And because then they come in and they say, but wait a minute, there are verses that say faith plus works in the Old Testament, and then there are verses that just say faith alone, and then so what is it? And again, that's where the confusion come, comes because it's both. Because it's a understanding that word salvation. And that's why last time we looked at the three phases of salvation. And when you read salvation, you have, by the way, salvation, it just means, simply means to be rescued or delivered from, what, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Uh, come over to Revelation chapter 12. I, it, it just, I was looking through some of this, and I just, when you, the problem, and again, this goes for salvation and damnation, um, because, so, because there, <laughs> when you look at the definition of salvation, it doesn't mean faith plus works or just faith alone. It just means to be rescued or delivered from. And you have to be very careful where you're at. Now look at Revelation 12. And look at verse 17. Revelation 12, 17. Oh. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. We're talking about Israel. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now watch. Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Chapter 14, I'm sorry, chapter 19, the, the testimony of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. What does verse 17 say? Which do what? Keep the commandments. That means they're, they're working. There's activity. Come over to chapter 14, chapter 14, and verse 12. Chapter 14 and verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. So who are the saints? They're the ones keeping the commandments. So they are working. Chapter 22, 
of Revelation. Chapter 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter into in through the gates into the city. Again, do the commandments, then they can enter in. So people say, see, works for salvation. But how are you defining salvation? Come back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, a passage we looked at last time, I know. But again, looking at it here, because Scripture does tell us that it is a faith plus a work, and it is faith alone. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 23. Deuteronomy 6, 23. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. What are they going to They're going to do all the statutes. Verse 25, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded. See, do. See, our righteousness. See, in order for us to be the nation that God created us to be, what do we need to do? We need to do all these commandments. But notice it says our righteousness. And instantly people go, see, justification unto eternal life is faith plus works. But that's not what he's talking about, justification unto eternal life. Come back to Leviticus chapter 18. We'll hit that in just a minute a little, a little harder. Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 and verse number 5. Leviticus 18, 5. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Now, Paul quotes that in Romans 10. There's, but there's a clear requirement here for people to do something in order to live. How it has to do with them by faith. It ha, they, they have to do the commandments by faith. Otherwise, it has no value. Without faith, there's no value. So their faith is telling them what? To do what God's told them to do. See, there's a requirement for them to live. So salvation, live. Again, in time past, they do not view salvation as justification unto eternal life. That's, our, that's how we view it. Rather, they view it in order to live a long life. Then we got to do this so that we can go and do that. Uh, come over to Exodus 14. Exodus 14. You see, so when you, th really, you, all three points, looking forward to faith, to the, uh, looking forward to the cross, and all, no. Faith plus nothing, no. Even the traditional viewpoint of right division, no. It's, it's not adequate. It's too vague. Because time passed, think about this differently. In Israel's programs, again, those three phases of salvation. And when you read salvation in the Old Testament, 99.9% .9 of the time it is talking about physical salvation into the kingdom. And that is what they are looking forward to. Look at Isaiah. Look at chapter 14. Chapter 14. Look at verse 13. So we're in the Exodus. <coughs> They've just had the, the blood on the doorpost, the, the, the death angel, the firstborn. Verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, now watch, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. 
for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. So physically, Israel, stop. Look. What it, this isn't metaphorical spiritually. They are physical deliverance from Pharaoh. Come down to verse 29. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 21, they, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. You see, they saw that. That is a literal, physical, visible thing that they're, that they're associating. They're not thinking about dying and going to hell like we think about it. They are thinking about a deliverance of the nation from the Egyptians. So salvation, mainly in the Old Testament, is talking about physical deliverance from their enemies. You're in Exodus, Luke chapter 1. You start in verse 69, and you run down through there with Zacharias, John the Baptist's dad. And in verse 71, he says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all them, uh, of all that hate us. That is a physical salvation. Now, they know that there's a spiritual component to this because of their sins. Puts it there. They understand that when they sin, they go offer the sacrifice and do what the law said. So they understand that, that they have a sin nature. But the salvation issue and the use of the word saved and salvation mainly about the nation being delivered from satanic captivity, from their enemy. Hardly ever, uh, Exodus 19, hardly ever is that word saved or salvation or even righteousness associated with justification unto eternal life, phase one, because the Jew, the Israelite, understands that he is born into a covenant relationship with God and that's a done that's taken care of. Okay? And that's where people get all, ooh, what about the individual salvation sits with that covenant relationship with God, being born of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It does not sit they ne, you and I as Gentiles, we have to think about being justified from going to hell because we are aliens. We're cut off. We're without God. We have no covenant relationship with God. Again, the difference between time past and the but now. Exodus 19, you have Moses here, verse 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, I'm sorry, yeah, to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. He separated them out. That's why on that chart, Israel's on the top. I brought you unto myself. I've redeemed you by blood, the Passover issue, and I've redeemed you by power, the, the, the Red Sea. Now, why did he do that? See? Why did he rescue them from Egypt? It's a picture of the world, verse 5. Now, therefore, okay, so I bear you on eagles' wings, and I brought you unto myself. Why? Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenants, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Why does he redeem them from bondage? He's got a purpose and a plan for them, to be a holy nation, to be a royal priesthood. So here they are. Here, think about salvation in the three phases. Here's their past. What is their past? Verse 3 and 4. What's their... They've, they've been brought, they've been redeemed from 
Egypt. They've been brought out of Egypt. There's their past salvation, if you will. Now we've got a present condition. What's their present condition? You're gonna, verse 5, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You keep, you go present, salvation, sanctification, we call it. Right now, you're going to keep the covenant, you're going to keep the law, you're going to keep everything. Why? So that you become this peculiar people. And then verse 6 is the future salvation. What are you? You're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In order to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which is physical, you have to be doing some physical works to bring in a physical kingdom. I redeemed, the Lord says to them, I redeemed you, I brought you out so that I can make a peculiar people in the earth. I can, and then set you up to be that royal priesthood, that holy nation. And in order for you to be that peculiar people, you're going to keep, if you keep my commandments, then you'll be what I designed you to be. Salvation, redeemed them from Egypt. Gave them the law for the present sanctification issues and then that future glorification out into the future. So Israel's view, go back there to Deuteronomy 6. Israel's view, again, the law and the commandments, the statutes, was not to have justification unto eternal life. Rather, for Israel, they have a, the law and the commandments and the statutes are guidelines that will make them into that holy, righteous nation. And when they do that, the guidelines of salvation, the guidelines of righteousness is phase two, sanctification. Again, they're born Jew. The Jew was born into a nation who had a covenant. Matthew 1.21, you'll call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. They're already his individual justification. Again, they know all about it. They know about their sin condition. That's why when the Lord deals with, with the leadership, you know, they reject the counsel of God by not being baptized by John. They just, they're apostate. Why? Because that nation is a mixed multitude. So these verses are not about the individual justification. Rather, these verses, let me ask you something. And you can go look. I challenge you. There is no verse in the scriptures that says that King David is a justified man. I I'm sorry, let me say that. There are no verses in Scripture that tell you how David became a justified man. Obviously, he is. Obviously, he knew when he sinned, he, who he sinned against. But what he had it. Romans 4, blessed is the man into whom the Lord will not impute sin. He understood it, but it never says how he got it. They don't view all that like we do because we never had that relationship with God. So what do we, man, we got to get saved. We got a, we got a Romans 6.23, this bad boy, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We got to get ourselves saved from hell and lake of fire and all that. And how do we do it? We do it through the blood. Almost all of the components think for that individual issue, but they don't. When you go through the script, you got Deuteronomy 6, right? Okay. When you go through scripture, Israel is a covenant people. They have a covenant relationship. And I'll be honest with you, Genesis 17, you got Deuteronomy? Hold on, run back there to Genesis 17. I'll show you what they're worried about. Genesis 17. The Jew is worried about Genesis 17, 14. The uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that, here's what they're worried about. That soul shall be cut off 
from his people. He has broken my covenant. You see what they're worried about? They're worried about being cut off. They're worried about breaking the covenant. They know they got the covenant. They've learned that from day two, day one, day eight. And they're worried about it. Us Gentiles, we never had a covenant relationship. So we think about salvation, justification unto eternal life, completely different. Go back there to Deuteronomy 6. By the way, well, verse 23, and he brought us out from thence, out out of Egypt, verse 22, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. Why is he giving them the land? Exodus 19, 5 and 6, to make a kingdom, to have a kingdom, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our, for our good always, that he might preserve us, how? Alive. There's that living thing again, as it is this day. I'm going to do all this. Why? So I have physical life. This is not about spiritual eternal life. This is about living now. Verse 25, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. Again, we'll be there, but this is how we will be there. This is how we have sanctification. What do we do? We keep the covenant. That's why. When you think about Israel, I do that little thing up there about the apostate nation and then that little flock. They come out of Egypt, a mixed multitude. Not all of them are believers. That's why Paul, all those of Israel are not of Israel. You know, in Revelation, John looks at them and says, if they, uh, uh, James says it, for, if, they are, if they were of us, they would have stayed, but they're not. But so they're gone. Then John says in Revelation, they're of the synagogue of Satan. So obviously they're not believers. And you can begin to see that. Come back to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Just notice this about the individual. Genesis 15, verse 6. Genesis 15, verse 6. And he, that's Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, for what? There's justification unto eternal life. Individual justification. Abraham, by the way, what was Abraham? Abraham was a Gentile here. He's not a Jew. He's not circumcised yet. None of that covenant. It's Abraham had individual justification. How? By faith alone. Come back over to 1 Peter, or I'm sorry, 2 Peter, chapter 2. 2 Peter, chapter 2. You remember Abraham's uh, uh, family, nephew, by the guy of Lot? 2 Peter 2. Now you think about Lot, Abraham and Lot. They got a big conflict in the land. So they, so they you go your way and I'll go, I, which way did Lot go? Sodom and Gomorrah. At the end of Lot's life, he had lost everything. All of his activities, wife is salt, he ends up in the hills with his, with his daughters, and there's incest, and it's just a family mess. So Lot's activity resulted in what? A mess. Well, 2 Peter 2, look at verse 7. And delivered just Lot... Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. When it says just Lot, that isn't just Lot, like he's the only one. It's justified. How do you know that? Well, verse 8, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing. See that righteous man? Verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He wasn't justified by his works. His works was all bad, see? But he's been justified by his faith. 
His justification was by faith alone. His working, he lost it all, see. So you think about, in, come over to Hebrews 11. Think about in time past, individual just, Hebrews 11. In time past, individual justification was based on faith alone. But to be a part of that nation, to be that nation that is to be that kingdom of priests, there are works required to bring in that physical nation. So physical activity to bring in the fit, but that salvation, that working faith plus the working has nothing to do with eternal life. Look at Hebrews 11, look at verse 4. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith Abraham, I'm sorry, Abraham, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness, witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Abel was what? Righteous. How? By faith, he, brought, he obeyed the word of God, and, brought, by, by, and by it, by faith, he being dead, yet speaketh. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now, that's not unto eternal life. That's being rescued, physical rescued, from a physical flood. Now watch, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So Noah, he came to justification how? By faith alone. No understanding about how it all happened until we get to Paul, but what do we got? Here, there he is. Now, come over to Galatians chapter 3. And again, I'm not trying to belabor the point, but after the comments of the last week, it's like, how, I don't know how, how else to illustrate it or to explain it. This is not a convolute. This is actually really simple. Don't read back into the Old Testament our salvation package. Let them have their own. It's legitimate. The individual is justified by faith alone. But the majority of the scripture about salvation and righteousness has to do with that physical nation producing a physical kingdom, and that is produced by physically doing the commandments of physical activity. Thus, Mark 16, 16, if you believe and baptized, you're going to be physically walking into the kingdom. Galatians 3, if you look at verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. Talking about the Abrahamic covenant, it's all good. The law can't change it. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So the law is added 400 years later. The promise is still there. The law just comes up and fortifies it. Why? Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by an angel in the hand of a mediator. So the law, it was, the law is there. It's added. It's, the, the promise is there. It, it just... Helps the promise. Now watch, well, verse 20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Now watch verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. You see that given life? That's eternal life. So the law was never designed to give eternal life. That was the promise's job for Israel. See, 
That's not the situation. Verse 22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So God gives Israel the law. You're going to go do these things that's going to demonstrate. By the way, they couldn't do it. That's what it demonstrated, right? That's why a new covenant has to be made for them, with them, where he's going to put his spirit in them, cause them to walk in the statutes and in the judgments of the law. That, that spirit then enables them to be that royal priesthood, that holy nation that they're to be, to be that kingdom of priests. They can only do this when they are enabled to be the right, that righteous nation. And how does that happen? It comes by the law written in their hearts and the Holy Spirit working in them. By the way, look at verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. So before faith came, before Paul revealed what's going on today, they only had what? The law. That's all they had. They didn't have... They weren't looking forward to Calvary. They weren't working by faith alone. None of that nonsense. All they had was the law until the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So those first two, point, those first two issues, just dead meat, Okay? Now, so when you come back to Mark 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. By the way, the he here is a Gentile. We talked about that when we talked about baptism. So what's that Gentile in ages to come? Because this is where this is going to be because we've interrupted this. This didn't get, this started a little bit, but it didn't get out into all the world. Acts 1 to 8 is stuck in Jerusalem. They haven't got out. So what's that Gentile going to do? He's going to believe the word of God to him. He's going to be baptized, and then he's going to go into that kingdom, physically walk into that kingdom. That's why you have the Lord in Matthew tells those Pharisees, you're going to be on the outside watching Gentiles go in and, and, and receive that kingdom. And that really made them mad. Why? Because they thought they were the cat's meow, and yet here they are. So then he says, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Well, again, and the issue of the physical, what's happening here. So what did, what did Luke or Peter say in Acts 2.40? Save yourself from this untoward generation that come over to Matthew 3 Matthew 3 that generation this group of people that where the wrath is going to fall the wrath of God is going to fall on them the wrath is coming upon that apostate nation but what's it coming upon also the Gentile the enemy of God And the damnation here is that issue of that physical going over and done. No eternal life, and off you go. Now, if you look at Matthew 3, you've got John the Baptist. By the way, verse 7, the Pharisees and Sadducees come. And he says, O generation of vipers who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So that's who we're talking. Flee from the what? Wrath. This is all about wrath. Wrath in what way? (laughs) Not spiritual, it's just a little raindrops on their head. Physical wrath. Verse 11. Verse 11. I, that's John, indeed baptize you with the water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with... The Holy Ghost, Acts 2, and with fire. All right, what does water baptism do? It identifies the little flock. What's the Holy Spirit do? Gives them the, that little flock to, the capacity to do what they need to do. What's the fire do? That's the damnation. 
Verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat, the little flock, into the garner, that's the kingdom, and he, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That issue of the second coming. Ezekiel 20, he's going to purge out the rebel. He's going to take the believing remnant into the kingdom. He's going to give them the Matthew 28 to go out into the world out there in, that, in the thousand years and bring in the, and that Gentile has an opportunity to go in. See, that's why Israel has, Acts 2.38, repent, change your mind. You just killed the Messiah. You got to recognize what you just did. And let's get baptized, let's get identified with the little flock, and because of that, you'll have the remissions of sins and the gift of the Holy Ghost. You'll be good to go. And that's why, Mark 16, he that believeth not is damned. If, you, if, you're, a little, if you're a nation of Israel and you don't believe this, your destiny is set. If you're a Gentile, your destiny is set. The whole program, the whole of it, is to identify the believing remnant and then to bring them into the kingdom and set it up. By the way, if you look over at 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10, he says, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And that's the day of his wrath. And you know what we're going to do? When we're going to sit up there in the heavenly places, we're going to admire him as he cleans out the rebel. So when you come back to Mark 16, next week we'll go on, I hope, Lord willing. <laughs> in the Old Testament, in time past, Individual justification is always faith alone. For the nation, national, it's sanctification and it's faith plus works. And what causes the confusion is how you define that term salvation. And if you read us Pauling truth into that term, you destroy. So is it faith alone? Yes. Is it faith plus works? Yes. Faith alone for the individual, Abraham, Noah, Lot, Abel. We didn't, you keep reading in Hebrews, it's pretty clear. Faith plus works. He took us out of that land, he took us out of the bondage to give us the land. He gives us the commandments to do, so we're there. So a majority of the Old Testament is not about justification unto eternal life. It's rather about sanctification and the nation being that royal priesthood, that holy nation that's going to bring in the kingdom. And it's a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic in nature kingdom. Okay? Clear as mud, right? And I, what happens is, again, good theology, but bad Bible. And it's best just to let it be what it is. Don't read us back into it. Because once you do that, you muddy the water, and then now you got questions that can't be answered. And by the way, the damned, if you look there at Matthew 25, just to give you an idea of this, because it is talking about Gentiles, but it is also talking about uh, unbelieving Israel, okay? In Matthew 25, this is in the Millennial Kingdom, starting in verse 31, okay? And he says there in, in verse 31, where when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. That's the Millennial Kingdom. And then he takes the nations in verse 32 and he puts the sheep on one side, the goats, the goats, he says, the sheep, he says, go on into the kingdom. And they say, how do we, well, when you did it to the least of these, what did you do? You blessed Israel, you blessed me. And, but yet the goats, they're going to be, verse 41, depart from me, you curse it into everlasting fire. See, 
And the, that's going to be the situation where the, the nation of Israel, the apostate nation, will be sitting with those goats as they're gone in because they have been deemed uncircumcised in hearts and ears by Stephen, Acts 7. So what are they? They are, Genesis 17, 14, cut off from the covenant. So the thing that they feared, which was being cut off from the covenant, has been accomplished on the proclamation of, uh, of uh, Acts 7 with Stephen. That's why most of covenant theology hates Acts 7 with, with Stephen. They hate it. They hate grace because uh, or the dispensational issues because that's what it does. Okay? So when I was looking here quickly, but I don't find it, so we'll just be done. Okay? All right, so when you talk about damnation, you're talking about that apostate nation. They're in the same boat, and off they go, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the clarity of it, for the simplicity of it, and for the wonderful truths that it teaches when we leave it where you have placed it. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray, amen.